Look back at 2 Corinthians chapter 3. This month, as we get ready to discuss our goals of our church and the plan our pastor has, we want to look at our families and rearing what it takes to rear a family with eternity in view. Many folks outside of these walls and outside of the walls of churches today are just trying to get through life. They'll have children, they'll have relationships, they'll try to provide their kids an honest living and uh, a good social life, good education, and try to get the best for their kids to go out and do the same. And on and on it would go. But as Christians, we, we live with a little bit further view in mind, and that's the in hopes and in light of eternity. That we are all, as we're saved, if you've known Jesus Christ as your Savior, God has ordered you a place in heaven and secured you a position there. And our lives are to be spent every day with that hope in mind, and what we do and how we get to serve and how we live and what we do in our homes has, should have all of that in mind. And if we, we don't, we're just living. And God wants us, doesn't want us just to live. He wants us to live planning for eternity. The Apostle Paul said here to the church, he said, uh, do we begin to commend ourselves? Or need we, as some others, epistles of commendation to you? Or letters of commendation from you? And it seems as if Paul was apologizing here for being, um, being commended for his work and commended for what this church was doing. And, and it seemed as if he was taking credit for it, and he quickly denounced that. And he didn't want to take credit for what this church was doing because it wasn't him that did it, it was, it was God. And God deserves the glory. God, they did it because God allowed them to. There have been many great days in the life of this church, and there will be many great days to come in the lives of this church. We just heard from Brother Bushy a little while ago about some great things that happened in a foreign country that would not have happened without, without you giving, without this church presenting, and so forth. But it's only because God allowed us to. It's only because God let it happen, because we had a heart for God, and God used us in many different ways. In verse 2, he says, Ye are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read of all men. And here, the Apostle Paul said, You know, I don't need a letter of commendation. I just need to look at you. I just need, I need to see you. I need to watch you. I need to see you presenting the gospel to people. And that's what I get excited about. I, I get a thrill out of watching you serve the Lord and you loving God. Matthew Henry wrote, Nothing is more delightful to a faithful minister or more to their praise than the success of their ministry as shown in the spirits and lives of those among whom they labor. When a pastor sees his people out knocking on doors and, and uh, spreading the gospel and trying to rear their, fi- their family and sending them to Christian schools and getting them to church on Sunday and coming in good weather and bad weather, that thrills his heart far more than a letter of commendation far more than a trophy, far more than a certificate, because he gets to see you actually having a heart for the things that he has a heart for, and that's the things of God. 
They stood in no need of, uh, Matthew Henry also wrote, they stood in no need of, of letters of commendation to or from the church at Corinth because that church was their living epistle, which was much more preferable to any written one. And we, as we look to our families and we look to our children, we look to our spouses, the Bible says that we ought to live a life so much the more that we ought to uh, present ourselves as an epistle. An epistle is a letter. It's a written letter. And a letter is, is, is far more than, than even a, a text, though that's written and, and, and uh, email. I believe, of course, they didn't have all of that back in Bible days, so God wasn't talking about emailing somebody. He was talking about, he was talking about actually physically taking a pen and a piece of paper and writing something out. It was a little bit different. And a letter, the significance of that is it shows time. It takes time to write letters. I wrote a bunch of letters, thank you letters to pastors that had us in their church, uh, churches in the last couple of weeks. And it took time to handwrite those letters. It shows also a personality or a fingerprint of our personality. Uh, Brother Ray Young has taken, and I brought one of them here, he's taken Brother Hiles' letters, and uh, three books, right, Brother Ray? Three books are out of, of thousands of letters that Brother Hiles had written through his lifetime. Uh, several, I think I counted six filing cabinets, there may, may have been more. But personal letters that he wrote to somebody, and they wrote back, and Brother Young went through filing cabinet after filing cabinet, and picked out letters that would help us understand the personality of Dr. Jack Hiles. I mean, yes, you can listen to his sermons, you can listen to his preaching, you can listen to his teaching, and learn a lot about him, but in the letter writing, you tend to see a little bit more. You see the time, the personality, and the deep thought that it took to write. That's why God's Word is so important to us. Out of all the things that Jesus said, all the things that God thought, He took a portion of that and gave it to us. And every word in the Bible is for a reason. A letter, a personal letter, is a joy to receive. And so when Paul was saying that you are our epistle, our letter... They were people that other folks out there enjoyed seeing. They got along with their community. Not that everybody liked what they preached or liked what they said, and at times it got even somewhat violent. But the truth is, the overall people enjoyed the Christians being there. And a, a personal letter becomes, it becomes a historical keepsake. This book here. Years, years of a man's life are preserved for history to read. And a, and a personal testimony, a personal epistle ought to be just that. And that's what our lives ought to be. That's what Paul was saying to the church at Corinth. Ye, you, are our epistle. Here we have that, I believe that an opportunity for each and every one of us to set as a goal in our life to be just that. Because it said in the last, in verse 3, it says, For as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not in table of stone, but in fleshly tables of the heart. 
And you know, as we read in just a verses that it will be remembered forever. Remembered forever. So here we have, the Bible says it should be known and read of all men, a representation of who and what we are. It's not just a photograph, which they didn't have back then. But even more so, a photograph just tells what I look like. But a letter tells what I am. It tells people what I'm about. And our lives should be so Christ-like that it tells people about Jesus Christ. It tells people what Christ is all about. We, uh, we go sometimes to Ephesians, and I won't take time to turn. Yeah, I will. Turn to turn the book of Ephesians chapter, chapter 5. Amen. With Mario hastening the service up front, we have a few extra moments. So I appreciate that, Brother Quotso. If you look in Ephesians 5, I won't take time to read all of it, but verse 1 says, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. That, and, and that is, a, is how our Christian life, in the next few verses, verse, look at verse 8. Talk about the Christian life. Verse 8, For ye were sometimes darkness, but now ye are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. And he's talking about how you and I live from day to day. How we leave church and we go out in the world and we go to work and we go to our neighborhoods and how people and what people see. I think Brother Warren Johnson, I believe it was him that, that taught on this passage, and he said that the, uh, the, this passage or the family talks about the family because it says, look, at, look over in uh, chapter uh, 5, verse 21, submitting yourselves one to another, the fear of God, wives submitting to your husbands and, uh, uh, as unto the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife. And down in verse 25, husbands love your wives even as Christ also loved the church. In chapter 6, verse 1, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and thy mother, which is the first commandment, with promise, and so on. And it goes, it talks about servants and how we live and how we work. And, and uh, Brother Johnson said that this passage and the, the, the family and marriage ought to be a gospel track of Jesus Christ to the world. Though God sent us and wrote this Bible for us and had it penned by men through the Holy Spirit, His epistle to us, our life ought to be an epistle to the world stating who Jesus Christ is. And everything. Why does that family love each other so much? Because they're Christians. Why do they go to church several times a week? Is it just a, form, is it just a, 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 a ritual that they do? Why do they tell people about Jesus Christ? Why do their children obey them? Why do they get along? Why are they such good workers? The reason they're asking why there is because you have been a good epistle. You are showing them something different than what they know. All of us are an epistle. An epistle that represent a place. We represent a place. We represent our city. We represent our state, our country. We represent a part of a country. Because people, people can tell by your accent 
Many of you from what part of the country or world you come from. You're you're an epistle. They will tell things about you. Your church, this church right here, everybody that leaves this church carries with them a look, an attitude, a spirit. To where people might even ask, by the way, do you go to that church in downtown Hammond? Because you're showing something different to the world. You're a letter written. You're a letter written to the world that says, hey, I go to that church. You also represent a people. The Jews represented Christ. Peter, even though he tried to deny it three times, was recognized as what? One of the disciples. He couldn't shake it. It's just what what he was. People had seen him with Christ. When you've been with Christ, people are going to know who you're with. He was a personality. He was, a, he was an important person. People didn't understand him. And you were, if you were following him, they're going to recognize you as that. That's why, listen to me carefully, this is a sidebar here. That's why you can go away from the things of God, but you cannot erase the fact that you're saved. And you'll take that Holy Spirit to the bar with you. You'll take that, that epistle of what you are to work with you. He'll take it to sin with you. People will say, aren't you, aren't you one of them? Aren't you a Christian? Aren't you, don't you go to church? Don't you practice? And they may have only met you for the first time. We've all been there. We've all been in restaurants or you've talked with somebody and, and they'll say, are you a preacher? Are you saved? Are you one of those folks? And all of a sudden, you, you resemble somebody. You represent a people. You represent a family. A group of people and a group of individuals that you live with. And growing up, most of you never got to meet my dad or my mom, but they were members of this church for many, many years and, and uh, brought us here as young people and, uh, with eight kids and my mom and dad worked in the Junior One department for many, many years, and a few of you still remember them. But I remember growing up and people asking me my name, Eddie Lapina. Oh, you're Pete's son. Now, in the Bible days, they would have said, Oh, you're, you're Eddie, son of Pete. <laughs> Jesse was a, David was the son of Jesse. But we're known by our family names today, we're known by our last names. I was telling Brother Bushy a little while ago, his daughter traveled in the tour group I was with last week and just complimenting her and what a good job she did. She represented the Bushy family. They would have been proud of her. And when people would ask her her name, my name's Libby Bushy. Oh, is your dad Brother Mark Bushy? And she said, yes, he's a missions pastor at First Baptist of Hammond. And oh, I met him. And she gave, she was a good epistle of their family. She represented them well. We're part of a Christian family here. We go to a, a church, doesn't mean we're saved, but because we are saved and we gather together as believers of like-minded faith, we're known by that. How do we represent that? You also represent a single person. Teachers, mentors, Sunday school teachers, school teachers, Christian educators. People that have invested in our lives. 
And listen to me carefully. I'm getting to a point here with this. This epistle that we are were, were written not just because we got to write it. Somebody else wrote it for us. They taught us. They trained us. Libby L. Bragg on her again, she isn't what she is today because she just happened to be that way. She was taught. I can see characteristics of her mother. I can see characteristics of her dad. And I helped train, get that out of her, by the way. And uh, I, saw, I saw her family in her. I saw teachers in her. In her. I, saw, I saw educators, Sunday school teachers, and things that she'd say, oh, my Sunday school teacher said this one day. And we all have a hand sometimes in helping those who become epistles in the writing and what they are. You know, just take another sidebar here. Moms and dads and this rearing of our families for eternity, let's be mindful. Let's be careful on who gets to write in our children. Let's be careful, those of you that want to put your kids in sports programs and around coaches that are not saved. You, those, those coaches, well, my, my child, your kid is there learning. Your child is taking a part of them with them, whether you like it or not. They are gleaning things from... That's why I so much love Christian education. It's not perfect. But I do believe that as a young person learns math and learns science and learns geography, they are getting it with biblical principles behind it and prayer behind it. And they are also taking a part of that teacher and the personality of that teacher with them. And as we work so hard to... <clears throat> train our children to become what they're supposed to be in life and the things that we would want them to be. Let's be mindful of what we allow to enter into, into their education. I've, I've known families that have gotten their kids in secular sports, and if you do, that's, that's your choice. You're the parent. You command the family, and I understand why you might do that, but do you want them to take away far more than basketball? I go to our basketball games, and I don't know where he's at today, but uh, he's in here in the room somewhere, but I, I watch as our, our men are coached by Brother Woosley. And though they are learning how to shoot and how to dribble and how to pace themselves and how to overcome and how to strategize, they're also learning him. And as they walk through life, they will be able to walk on a basketball court and know how to make a jump shot and look good at doing so, but they will also take in life some printing from him that's helped them rear their family. It's helped them be a husband. Help them to be a teacher. Help them to go to church. And I think sometimes we get the idea that we can live, live apart from the world and, uh, and, and not be an example, but you are. But then sometimes when we have to live in the world, we've got to be careful. We don't take from the world character traits that we, we can become and will hinder us one day. And that's where wisdom and that's where the Word of God has to play a part in rearing our families. No two, I don't ever criticize the way somebody rears their children because it's a difficult job. 
and nobody's ever perfected it. But the truth is, we ought to all be working on it and trying to find better ways to get our kids to have a heart for the Lord and to serve God and to include people of like mind and faith that will help us with that goal in mind. And even then, sometimes Satan will get our kids and Satan will get in into their lives and get them out of church and not everybody, everybody is proud of the way every child lives in life. But they should all receive that opportunity. They all should receive everything that we possibly can give them spiritually that will help them to become everything that they need to become for the Lord. We all have, we represent a person. We represent our parents and mentors. And I get it, men will fail us. And we will see in our moms and dads humanity that's failing sometimes. But if you know what? If your parents disappoint you or a spiritual leader disappoints you, just remember, we're not measuring our spiritual acumen or our spiritual life by them. We're measuring it by Jesus Christ. And we still would know enough about the spiritual life to walk out into the world and be a good epistle. And to be a good example to the world. There's no excuse to become a lousy epistle. But they hurt me, or I had a teacher that did this, and I'll tell you, it just set me off. Okay. Okay. You don't know it, but it's happened in every Christian school and every school in the world. You don't know it, but your parents and you as a parent are going to do the same thing. You're going to need to trust the Lord and, and measure your spiritual life by Him and let Him decide if your life is right or not. And last, and number four, you represent a higher power, and that's Christ Jesus. God has it intended for you and I to be conformed to the image of His Son. He will, use, he will use teachers, He will use professors, He will use leaders to help direct us and guide us along the way. But His goal is to, for us to, to grow in the image of Jesus Christ. To love like Him, to treat others like Him. And I think that's what Paul was saying here. Hey, this is a great church, and boy, people out there are looking at you like you're, you're great people, but it's not me. I have worked hard to get you to be like Jesus Christ. He is the one. You have been our epistle. You are our example to the world. You're taking what we've taught and given it to the world. Verse 3 said, For as much as ye are manifestly declared to be an epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshly tables of the heart. Someone is going to read your story one day. We've been to a lot of funerals around here in the last few years. We own a cemetery. We get to see a lot of people be put in the ground. What, what will be said? Have you ever noticed what, what is said at most funerals? I find preachers sometimes, and myself at times, struggle to find things to say about their, their Christian life. To find good things to say about their love of other people, their kindness, their soul winning, their holiness to God. If there was no written Bible available today, 
Were the word of God, would the word of God be manifest in your life today? Would your neighbors be able to read something in you that says you're different? Teenagers, listen carefully to me. You're at a point in time in your life where you're trying to figure out your life. Many of you graduated from school just a few days ago. Some of you will graduate next year and try to figure out the next steps. Trying to figure out where, what road to go, what, what's your occupation, what are you going to do? Are you going to make money? Are you going to go to Bible college? Are you going to secular college? All of these things. But someday somebody is going to read your story. Someday somebody is going to read your epistle. Someday a grandkid or a great-grandchild is going to read what you were. So well, I'll be in heaven and, and uh, I'll be fine. I'll be walking down streets of gold. I'll be living in a mansion. Yes. But you'll also be very concerned as we find from the story of the rich man and Lazarus. We're going to be concerned about those left here on earth. And when they read your story, will it be one that sheds the light on Jesus Christ? One of Christian character? One of discipline? One of compassion? One of love? One that honors Christ? What will be talked about at your funeral? Your, your our epistle. You will be known and read of all men. And someone, someone is going to read my story. I hope would hope that it would be a good read. I would hope that somebody would say, boy, you need to read that book. I hope a grandchild would say, boy, I wish, I wish I could have been around to see the author of this story. Many of you have said to me, in fact, some of the kids on the tour group, I never got to, I never got to see Brother Hiles. I never heard him in person. I wasn't even born when he passed away. But they get to still read his epistles. They still get to glean from him. Again, are you a good read? Let's bow our head and close our eyes.